Welcome to a new episode of the Saltwater Euphoria Podcast. This is your go-to sport fishing podcast, where we will cover all things from fishing, boats, tackle, and anything else saltwater related. Well done, gentlemen. Every day is an adventure on the water. We'll be sharing our experiences, stories, tips, and passion for fishing. Gonna need a bigger boat. Oh, think bigger, my friend. Think bigger. Here is your host, Captain Ricky Wheeler. Hey, everybody. We're back on episode 30 of the Salty For You podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Always appreciate the support. And if you love the podcast, as always, please spread the word. So lately here in New Jersey, I've been chomping a bit because the striped bass are biting and the bluefin tuna are pretty thick off of our coast, which is something not uncommon, but this year they're biting. So guys are going out there and getting into them pretty good. And I have two boats in my possession right now and neither of them can go. <laughs> Doing uh, Still working on the transmission on my boat, which I hope to have done here in about a week and a half, two weeks and head south with that. And then the 38 Topaz, as some of you may or may not know about, that we are going to gut and rebuild. I have some partners uh, in with that. We're, it's right now up at Fork River Diesel, getting a once-over on the engines. Uh, did a bunch of work to it, getting it ready to go south and get ready to haul out and gut the whole thing and rebuild. So stay tuned for some of that. So something new I'm going to start doing here is at the very end of every podcast, I'm going to talk about boats. And for those of you who don't know, I just became a yacht broker with United Yacht Sales. I definitely love the process, and it's something I've always wanted to do, and I'm thrilled to be doing it. So I'm really excited. And But even before I became a yacht broker, I was always scouring the internet, looking at boats, and there are always some great deals out there. I'm like, man, that'd be a great boat to get. So I'm going to talk about those kind of boats at the end of every podcast. And I try to make sure I do this podcast bi-weekly. So it'll hopefully be some new boats, but if there's still a boat from the week before that I feel is the best, I'm still going to keep it there. And I'm going to break it down into a couple categories. I mean, I absolutely love sport fishing boats, and that's what I'm going to stay true to the core here in this podcast, is talking about the top production boats that I see out there, the top custom boats I see available in the market, top sport fishing boats under 300000 and also you know, the center console sport fishing boats as well that I think are great deals that are on the market. And it's going to be a completely biased opinion. It's going to be what I feel like just from what I see from listings that are out there. And it doesn't matter who has it listed. If I think it's the best deal, I'm going to put it on there. So if you think it's a great boat or if you're looking for boats or even if you're just interested in talking about boats, stick around the end of the podcast. We're going to talk about that and what I'm also going to do is I'm going to take those boats and put it into my Instagram stories and I'll have a saved story at Captain Ricky Wheeler on my Instagram and I will always showcase and feature those boats that I talk about in this podcast so you can see them even better and if you're looking to, to buy a boat or to sell a boat, please reach out to me. I'll put the information in the show notes how to reach out to me and I'd love to help you buy or sell your boat and maybe one of these boats are the right one for you. But moving on to today's podcast, my guest is someone who runs charters out of Ocean City, Maryland, and is somewhat new to the game, although he's been doing this his whole life and absolutely loves it, and it shows through every time I talk to him and also through all the social media posts as well. And this is the very bright spot of social media is the people you get to meet and people you get to know that you might not ever had a chance to know anyway. So this is one of those we kept in touch throughout the summer, and he definitely catches fish and loves what he's doing. 
and is always doing upgrades and working on his boat and that kind of stuff always interests me as I hope it interests many of you and he also just made a quick change he's switched out boats and pretty crazy how quick it all happened and he's got a huge list of stuff to work on that I want to discuss with him along with plenty of fishing discussions so ladies and gentlemen I want to introduce to you Austin Enzer of the Primary Search so what's going on Austin? Nothing. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I've been uh been chit chatting back and forth through all the avenues of social media, and love what you have going on. And um, you've been making a lot of moves this year, so curious to hear what you have going on. And figure we talk some boat building as well, as it looks like you have a lot coming up this winter. Yeah, definitely. Uh, boats have been a huge fascination ever since I made the jump into wood boats in 2016. I had never uh, owned a big boat or a wood boat before, so it was a it was a learning curve. And uh, you know, I spoke with you a bunch of times on social media, and really reaching out, talking to people, asking questions, and people like yourself and a bunch of other really good people out there that answer questions and don't mind feedback is you know huge for me because it's bouncing ideas, it's talking to professionals that do it every day. And a lot of the times, I've realized that some of the stuff you're going through is somebody's already lived that nightmare or done that nightmare before. Yeah, no doubt. And if you reach out and ask, you'd be surprised. Pretty much everybody wants to help each other. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. The, the boat industry is really cool and small, actually. It's uh, it's big, but it's small when you get to really talking to people. You know, everybody knows somebody that has been through something that you're probably going through. Absolutely. Well, before we jump into that, <clears throat> uh, get everybody a little bit of a background about you. Tell everybody who you are, where you're from what you do and what got you into the world of sport fishing. That's a lot to go through, but uh, my name is Austin <laughs> Enzer. I'm 30 years old, uh, uh, born and raised in Bel Air, Maryland. I uh, grew up summers at Ocean City, Maryland since I was a little kid. Uh, got my start fishing with family. Uh, we fished the Chesapeake Bay for rockfish and bluefish and whatever else we could catch, white perch. And uh, did that pretty much my whole life growing up. And then my dad used to take rockfish charters here and there. And I was 10, 12 years old, always looking how I could make a dollar when I was younger, had a fruit stand at the end of the driveway when I was you know, old enough to count money and always been into doing little side gigs and things like that. So got my first job on a charter boat when I was I think about 12 in uh, Shadyside, Deal, Maryland area. My mom, my mom would drive me there at three in the morning, drop me off on a, on a Saturday and pick me up on a Sunday evening. We'd work Saturday, Sunday, or, you know, Saturday double, Sunday double, and then she'd come pick me up. So that was in Chesapeake Bay with Tom Burns on the right nut. Got my start all through there till about, I'd say, 15 years old. And then uh, right in that 14 to 15, we, we were in North Carolina a bunch uh, for family vacations and things like that. And I was really started getting the tuna itch uh, when I was, you know, that 14 or 15 years old. I never caught a tuna, but I wanted to go. And uh, sure enough, we chartered a boat in North Carolina for my birthday one year down there. And that was the rest of that. Unfortunately, I had no more interest in the bay. All I wanted to do was go catch a tuna. Yeah. That definitely, uh, kind of kills you for inshore fishing, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. When you catch the same, uh, rockfish, you, we call rockfish, everybody else calls them striped bass, but when you catch the same rockfish over and over and over again, and that's all you're going to catch. It gets, uh, gets old pretty quick when you're a, you're a young kid and you know, there's tuna swimming around out there. So <laughs> Yeah, got no that doubt. bug. And actually, uh, this is before social media, but it's the same exact concept. Email was the way to go back then. So what I would do is I'd get 
before I went on family trips, I would email every captain at Pirates Cove or every captain in the fishing center just to see if anybody would email me back. 12 year, 14 year, whatever I was at the time, grammar, but writing to these captains, you know, I'd come work for free. I'd go fishing, the boat for them when they got in. You know, it's all I wanted to do was be around the boats and be around the stuff. One of the only guys that got back to me was Dennis Endy on the assault weapon uh, when he had the Paul Mann charter boat. He got back to me and said, yeah, come on down. You know, Make sure your dad comes and you can come down. So we go looking around Pirates Cove, find Dennis, and he's letting me dig through his boat, look through his stuff, and you know, just be a little annoying, you know, nagging kid <laughs> that I had a bunch of questions. But Dennis let me do that a couple of times uh, throughout the years, and then we you know, end up chartering him a couple of times. And uh, came full circle, actually, uh, last year when I was down in Costa Rica, and he was running the uh, man cave. Uh-huh. Paul man and saw him down there so it's it was really cool to see I mean for literally if I was probably 13 or 14 in that time frame crawling around his boat just asking them dumb questions not a clue in the world to you know fish in Costa Rica with some buddies down there so that's really how I got my start is uh you know in the bay and then slowly graduated to the offshore stuff and then basically through college I worked on boats in the offshore program uh my main the main boat I really learned from was on the Lady Luck the first Lady Luck was a uh, 47 composite yachts, Chesapeake Bay style boat. But Tommy Baldwin ran it. Ocean City legend, been around the horn for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So Tommy was uh, basically my first mentor that actually really took me under his wing. And basically, they kind of threw me to the wolves of being a mate. And uh, Tommy should. That was probably, you know, 16 years old, 15 years old. Okay. Uh, doing that stuff through through high school. And then all the way through college, that boat ended up turning into a 62 foot uh, or a 64 foot Paul Mann. Uh, that was the Lady Luck. Had that Quite boat a step for fire. Up. Yeah, it was a, it was a really <laughs> big step. The owner's um, very experienced boater, been boats around his whole life. And then once he arrives, he's going to get back into the ocean thing. I think after two years on that bay boat, getting beat to death because they're just you know they're made out of Divinacell. They're just all right. foam boat. And uh, it had pods in it, Volvo pods in it. I just think. Uh, after a couple of years of that, he was ready to get into something bigger. And he bought that boat, had the C-30s in it. It's still running around here somewhere. I don't know who has it now. But right. Tommy, again, ran that boat. And that's when I really got into, we really got into learning stuff. And all we did was lure fish. All the tournaments, we lured fish, uh, four lures. All the tournaments, you know, for marlin stuff. So I got to learn that. Um, we did a lot of tuna fishing. We were really big in bluefins back then. The inshore bluefin, you know, 150 foot of water stuff with the overs and the big ones. So, got yeah, a ton you, of experience. Used to be good there for a while in that that era. Used to be fun. Oh, lumpy bottom all up through the hand <laughs> bone. I mean, you could run 50 miles north or south and catch a big old over bluefin every day. Yeah, it was, um, it was fun. But I dried up for some reason. Yeah, for us at least. You guys up in Jersey, get on now. You're hoarding them for yourself. Not around me. You got to go further north than me, like North North Jersey. You get them, but we don't even see them anymore. Not not wow. Not that much. I mean, occasionally, but I mean, if, <laughs> it's not what it used to be at all. Oh, right? that's all we used yeah. to do. There wasn't any sense to running offshore because you could catch a hundred fifty pounder, two unders, three unders, and that was a great day. Yeah, you know, and, you could run offshore. Catch Twenty of them. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. You could you could catch as many as you wanted. Yeah, and uh, that's what we used to do, and that's how I got a lot of my tuna ready doing that stuff. And you really had to have your stuff right. Those big overs, you know, light leader had to crimp right. I learned a learned a valuable lesson in crimping. Uh, you know, <laughs> during those times, these uh, Tommy was one. Of the, I just had never pulled crimps before. You know, you crimp them and you set them. But he came to the boat one day and pulled three of my crimps and two of them busted. He's like, 
yep, that's not going to work. It's like, okay, yeah. So he's, you know, show me how to pull crimps and stuff, how to make it, you know, how to crimp uh, correctly. Cause before then I didn't know there was a correct way to crimp, but thought you, you just created the crimp and you were done. So a lot of learning in those years. And it was awesome uh, when that bluefin was good. Cause we used a ton of drag and, you know, really, I think we were using 90 pound back then, 80 pound, a 90 pound liter way right. back. And uh, we'd put a lot of drag on that 90 pound before it would break. So that was a lot of fun. But Tommy Baldwin was my main mentor back then. And then fished a bunch around, jumped in around. Somewhere mixed in that process, my family bought a 28-foot Mako. Um, and then me and my buddies would run that offshore and could commit all sorts of safety violations and <laughs> fun with that. So we were uh, my parents would let us take it 30 miles offshore, but we were in the Washington Canyon every every time. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We've talked about this in a couple other podcasts. It's amazing what what you do when you don't know better. <laughs> oh yeah and there's you look so back times, now you're like what were we doing so many times we should have gotten in trouble or in, or in a bad spot and we just didn't because we didn't care like we didn't have a single worry in the world <laughs> now i worry about everything under the sun today but uh you yeah. know back then we were just like oh lightning storm it's fine we got a t-top let's get under it so we were uh <laughs> we were supposed to be at the hand bone the one night we were basically just just inside the corner of the washington by the time we pulled it back so but I figured if we're 30, we're out of suffering and say going miles will be 60. So hey, if you got the fuel, why not? Had plenty of fuel, but uh had plenty of gas and we had to add uh add oil as we went because those old two strokes ate oil. Oh yeah. Just yeah. ate oil. You know, direct put it in. So we had to add oil halfway. It was a nightmare. But a lot it's of learning. So long since I've been on an outboard boat with two strokes. I for totally forgot about that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean it would burn oil like it did gas. It was horrible, but it was fun. <laughs> And then basically did all that through college. Uh, the Lady Luck program, they, they uh, dissipated and sold the boat, uh, got into some other stuff. And then uh, through college, I worked for the fire department for Ocean City and Salisbury. I, had, I plowed snow on the side, got through college, had a couple different jobs through there, and then uh, got into the workforce and then bought a 28-foot Carolina Classic. Uh, got a deal on that thing from where it sat in Sunset Marina. And that was the first primary search in 2016. Okay. And that had a uh, 330 Cummins, six BTAs in it. And that was my first experience with inboard engines ever. Diesel boat, never had run one, you know, never in my life. So right, we fished that for a couple years and that was a lot of fun. Um, and then basically got to the point where it's like, you know, we're getting pretty serious about this. What do we do? And uh, so put that boat for sale. Ended up making some money on that boat and uh, started looking for the next boat. And the, basically I wasn't going to go in the 30 to 40 range because I didn't want to burn double the fuel for not the same amount of space or just for a little bit more space. So got to look at it. And I was like, Oh, I really want a Carolina boot, but I can't afford one. There's not a chance in the world I can afford one. Um, and then ended up coming across the Blackwell, which was for sale in Stewart. And then, uh, you know, about six months of negotiation and try and we settled on that boot, got a, you know, hell of a deal on that thing. Got, six months got it up here. Six months. Yeah, I mean, well, my first offer was 120 under asking, okay. uh, so they laughed at me. Of course, you know, it was <laughs> fresh on the market. The broker said they were going to laugh at me, so you know, was what it is. So about six months later, we ended up putting it under contract. I think it was like five thousand off my original number. Oh wow! And then because uh, it took a while because the boat didn't sell, you know, some stuff fell through, and then you know how boat selling goes. So oh yeah, it, takes it came into where it was, you know, that guy that you know offered that one. A slow tire kicker number back 
six months ago, let's give him a call. And then luckily <laughs> I was still interested. And so, uh, so we worked out a deal on that thing. And it was a, it was basically just, it was a single engine boat. It needed a, you know, needed a bunch of work, but I was ready for the task. I knew I could, you know, get the elbow grease part of it done. Right. Um, but that was the only way I could get into a, a bigger sport fish that wasn't going to burn a ton of fuel that was going to give us quadruple the room we had and really kind of try to get us into that next level scene a little bit of, you know, actually being out there, being where we need to be. And uh, that Blackwell basically kind of sprung us into that, which was cool. Definitely a good platform. Yeah, it was fun. It was a uh, you know, big learning curve. The boat was in really good shape as far as the structure goes. Everything it needed was, you know, just over the years of being road hard and put away wet. Hmm. Uh, that's, you know, one of the best things for those boats is if they sit, they rot and they just go to crap. But if they're used, you know, they stay in pretty good shape minus odds and ends. Oh, yeah. As long as you're on top of them. I mean, we always, yeah. sit, we're traveling and living on the boat. It's in much better shape than when it's sitting around for a month or two, not doing much. For sure. So, yeah, the Blackwell was really good to us. Um, and then, uh, went through four years, four, about five, had the boat for, had the boat for five years, but every year we just, all my friends and family just poured our heart and souls in that thing just to make it better and better each year. Uh-huh. Learned a little something about it each year and just made it a little bit better each year. Um, basically did the same thing on the last boat and then basically just turned about, you know, a 300, 300% uh, uptick on the, the sale of that boat. So worked yeah, out. Your timing was very good. <laughs> yeah, it worked. I bought it at the all-time low, you know, the boat market, which yeah. was about 20, you know, that 2018 time frame where boat prices were down. There wasn't really much going on and sold it at, you know, pretty much all-time high boat market. So yeah. it worked out pretty well in that aspect. Well, I got a question for you because a lot of people ask me this question and I don't really have hardly any experience with a single engine diesel handling single engine diesel versus twin engine diesel obviously takes different kind of skill set. Can now that you've messed with that a lot, can you talk like speak to that some more? Yeah, you know? actually I was, uh, I just ran the new boat. Uh, all the way around it was the first time i ever physically ran it i put it in the slip from the sling i ran out of the slip i ran it to the new marina where it's going to be this winter and i was more scared to run that twin engine boat than i was my single engine boat just because i got so comfortable with it over the years i knew exactly what that single engine boat was going to do but going from the 28 carolina classic to a 54 foot single engine sport fish was this night and day i got the boat it came up here the old owner actually ran it up for me. It came Johnny Duffy, Duffy Boatworks gave me a four hour, three hour docking lesson. We went all around through the marina. We backed up and down the fairways. We went, went straight, went backwards. We tried a couple different slips. And then after that, I was pretty much thrown to the wolves. Um, and it was in a really tight spot in Sunset Marina. If anybody's been in there, D dock halfway down, surrounded by million dollar sport fishers, like literally five to <laughs> six yeah. million dollar sport fishers. So no doubt. my blood pressure. The blood pressure level on a twin single engine boat is a lot higher, but the handling is, I mean, you know, it only backed to, to port. So it only, you know, go one direction. So it's just, if you ever got too far over it, you had to really, really reset and kind of bail out. So I always just took it slow, but I think running a single engine boat is a skill that, you know, everybody, every captain should have at one point in their life. It's because one day you're going to end up with, you know, down an engine or you might run in somebody that's a single engine. Um, you might get into you know, trouble. Ben, stop. Docking on one with a twin screw boat is a lot different than docking on one with a single screw boat. Though. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. 
But um, still, I mean, it, it is kind of kind of cool. I mean, I, there's just not a lot of single screw diesels out there. To even no, try. it's not, and it's the perfect owner operator setup. Really, I mean, it has its its pros and its cons, obviously, but it's just a perfect like that Blackwell was such the perfect owner operator boat. It had a single engine, had a generator, two air conditionings, and three pumps. That was the entire boat. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't simple. anything else to it. I mean, you could maintenance the whole boat in a couple hours. If you ever had a problem, you could go check a couple things, and but it was just so easy. Everybody gets, you know, when I bought that boat, this is the biggest thing. You just can't listen to anybody else. If you want to do something and you think you could do it, do it. So many people, you know, oh, you know that boat's a single engine. Oh, yeah, single engine boat, that's going to be tough. I never had a single problem with that boat. It never left me stranded once because put the time into it, put the work into it, right. and took the time to respect it and learn it and know what it was. Didn't treat it like something it wasn't. So uh, that was a big, big learning curve. But what that boat taught me was how to maintain diesels, how to keep them in running perfect order, how to watch them like a hawk, how to maneuver a boat in tight, tight quarters with limited maneuverability. Like I said, you can only go one direction. So right. if you missed your hole, you had to bail out completely and go out the fairway and start over. I had to do that a couple of <laughs> times in my five years. You get halfway down, up, oh, I'm either going too fast or too slow, or I missed my, missed my turn. I got to back out of here. So it was a, it was a fun learning curve as far as the, the single engine boat handling goes, but, uh, had a bow thruster, which was really helpful. Um, yeah, it worked nice. about 50% of the time. So that was always, <laughs> always tricky. That was, you haven't told uh, my electronics guy, I'm like, Steve, there's gotta be a, a better bow thruster option out there. He goes, honestly, they're all a little bit wonky. So, well, uh, I mean, what'd you have? Oh, I don't know. It was some old 24 uh, volt okay. bow thruster. I, it got never had problems with mine unless really? the air gets pinched or something, but. That's just from our installation. I fixed that problem since, but yeah, gotcha. pretty bulletproof. And even on other boats that I run with Vetus, they're pretty bulletproof. This was an old one. This was like an old kind of off-brand bow thruster that was in it. But I ended up getting it figured out the last year. We we basically rewired the whole thing and got it really figured out. But yeah, for a couple of years there, I would my whole ride home I would just stress if the bow thruster was going to work or not. That's all I would think <laughs> about. <laughs> And then half, <laughs> half the times it would work, half times it wouldn't. I know, uh, but I'm never stressed out really when I'm I'm stuck on one engine. I'm like, oh, I have the thruster and engine. I'm golden. But yeah, this year I had one time where the thruster just—I got one of the wires got pinched. I, I found it and I fixed it after we docked. But I was like, great, one engine, no thruster. I actually got to like be on my game now. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We're lucky at sunset we don't have any tide or current or surge or anything. We get spoiled with that. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, pretty nice here at sunset start adding those factors into it and you start really getting into really tricky docking yeah but the uh the single engine stuff that was a lot of fun i'm really glad i learned that skill over the years you know i wouldn't call myself a master of it by any stretch um but i got decent at it could put the boat in there without you know tapping anything and um got decent at it over the years There's the guys in north carolina are the true professionals of that stuff they will you know those boats are just extension of those guys they can make them go any direction they want they know exactly what the boat's going to do you know, if a mouse farted on their rudder, they would know it. Those guys were just so in tune to their boats. But it was fun. The double rudder thing worked really good with that boat. Really responsive as far as, you know, handling. But oh, then it had cool. the power. Had double rudder? Yeah, it had the double rudders behind the wheel like this. So normally okay. those are the arrangements either like a big barn door style rudder. Right. You got the flanking rudders were the ones in front of the wheel, the ones behind the wheel. Or you got the double rudders behind the wheel like I had. Okay, um, I didn't know that. The theory is, yeah, it's just, I guess it's, uh, you know, more surface area of water versus right behind the wheel. So 
with those two rudders, it was uh, it was pretty responsive That's as far cool. as turning and stuff like that. Yeah. So and that had a lot of it had a big wheel on a big four blade wheel, so it really ate, it really you know grabbed in and was maneuverable. What <clears> prompted the switch? Because earlier in the year, you were asking me if I was interested in keeping a thirty four twelve on the side, and I was like, I can't do that right now. And you went from that to totally switching. Yeah, so we were having those conversations earlier in the year uh, because I had no radar whatsoever of buying a new boat this year at all. So I was basically, I'm always thinking next move. Like, you know, you always have to be thinking the, uh, you know, the next thing that you're going to need on your boat because I'm on a budget. You know, I live a, a very normal lifestyle. I have a, you know, Monday through Friday job. I got to be able to budget all this stuff. So right. motor was on my next five-year plan. Uh, so I had to start thinking of saving for a motor, not that it needed one in five years, but I also want to be ahead of the game. You know, I don't want to be out a season because I don't have a motor. So right. I was looking into the man 1550 to stick in that boat because I knew it was going to need a motor in the next, you know, five to six years at the rate that I use it. Plus I wanted to go a little faster. I wanted to look at some options and I wanted to be able to get some money out of the 3412 while I could. Um, so I was looking at that, you know, looking at the next, next level of stuff for that. And then I got to, you know, thinking about, well, you know, what am I going to do as far as moving forward in my boat and stuff? And got to the point where it's like, you know, do you want to put quarter of a million dollars more into this thing and keep going? Or do you want to try to get out of it while you can? Um, long story short, decided against buying a new boat, was going to put a new motor in this boat in the years and move forward with the black belt because I truly did like the boat. Mm-hmm. Perfect for me. It was a perfect the 54, owner right? Rig. Yeah, the 54. Yeah, it was a perfect boat and it worked out well uh, for me. So I really didn't have any need to get out of it. Uh, so we have those conversations. I got an offer on the motor. I got a couple of different you know, prices to, to do this. And I was going to wait a year and then try to pull the trigger on that. And then basically over the years, the guys on the no quarter behind me, I've always fished on the boat probably 20 times over the last 10 years, eight years. Um, always have loved the boat. It's been an awesome boat. Yeah, it's pretty boat. I've always... But he's always joking with Mike, like, hey, because they had, I know they had purchased a, another boat about a year ago. Not many people knew it was kind of hush hush. Uh-huh. Um, but I knew that. So I always joked, you yeah, know, when you're ready to send that thing across the dock, call me. I'll take it off your hands because they <laughs> were literally right behind me. So the boat literally went straight behind me. So we were, I was just joking about it for a long time. And then um, I texted him and I said, hey, when you are ready to sell, you know, let me know. We can have a conversation there's a really good chance I'm not going to be able to, to buy your boat because you won't be able to afford it, but at least have a conversation about it. Right. So uh, I think it was in August. Yeah. It was like the middle of August. I forget exactly how it happened. I was talking to Kyle, um, which Mike and Kyle are in the boat, um, you know, and, yeah, probably going to give you a call. See what we can work out with you. I was like, yeah, no problem. And, you know, I was not expecting anything because they were, I thought they were going to want, you know, what the boat was worth and I wouldn't be able to afford it. Right. So anyway, Mike comes to my office and we just keep shooting the shit. And by the end of our about 45 minute conversation, I bought a boat. So he <laughs> left. <laughs> we uh, basically, you know, we we're off about a hundred grand, you know, from each other about what we could do. And I said, dude, no hard feelings. You know, I just can't afford it is what it is. And right. he basically asked me what the best I could do was. And I told him and he took it. So it uh, awesome. worked out really well. And uh, mind you, I still had my 54 Blackwell sitting in the slip. <laughs> uh, with, had no idea it was getting sold. I had no idea I was selling it, you know, 24 hours prior to this. So I just told Mike, I said, you know, I, there's no way I could afford the boat without selling mine first. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So we put a little contingency deal together. He gave me till January 1st to sell my boat. Oh, wow. And then if we couldn't figure it out, we were going to figure out financing or whatever or something. 
Um, but he gave me till January 1st to sell my boot. <clears throat> I think the next day I started the process of getting mine ready for sale. I posted on Facebook on like a Tuesday. Um, and then Thursday was under contract. Friday I had a deposit. And 22 days later, we settled on my That's boot, crazy, the Blackwell. <clears throat> so it worked out. Um, guy named guy from Tyler from Warhead City, almost exactly what he wanted. Came up, bought it, and uh, surveyed it. Did all the stuff he wanted to do, and then he drove it home. <clears throat> and then uh, once I had you know the check for that, I could uh, purchase the no quarter. Got a loan from a little bit of a business loan from a buddy of mine for the rest, and. Uh, it was a really fast, uh, unexpected deal. I actually <laughs> had to cancel a couple of trips into September uh, because I had, you know, in August, I was lining up Marlin trips ready to go to get asked. Oh, yeah. And I actually, one person like physically like, was mad at me. They called me like, what are you doing? Canceling my trips. Ah, I have a scheduling con because I couldn't tell anybody what I had going on. Right. Basically just agreed to buy a boat that I couldn't afford unless I sold mine <laughs> and mine wasn't even for sale yet. <clears throat> so I couldn't really tell anybody what I had going on. So I had to cancel a couple of trips that you know got people kind of off the off the radar a little bit, and then got to work selling it. Once they saw it for sale, they, they kind of figured out. Uh, but still, nobody had no idea what I was cooking because I couldn't tell anybody. People were like, yeah, oh, man, I thought I you were getting out. I was like, oh man, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, and it was you know a lot of people are getting out right now. So I think yeah. a lot of people thought that, which I was like, yeah, it's no problem. I don't think whatever. And then uh, right buyer came, you know, had the right financing, and it all worked out. Sold that boot, and then. Uh, we signed the paperwork on August, I think it was August 20th. I read the by the no quarter, and when we were done and settled by October 1st. That's great. Yes, yeah, I mean, so it's about out. as seamless as it gets both ways. Yeah, it worked. I mean, the only reason it worked so well is because Mike was very accommodating. And the biggest thing is, you know, Mike could have got a lot more money for that boat, but he's had it for 15 years. The thing's like a family member to him. He just didn't want it going to somebody that, you know, anybody that, you know, might run it or leave it tied up somewhere for years or whatever. He knew that I is gonna, really cool. He knew I was going to start the process, you know, give that thing. It's, it's, uh, you know, his former glory back of uh, sure. what that thing is. So, and that's exactly what we're doing. Before we jump into the projects at hand, because I know you have quite the extensive list. I mean, as with any boat, whether it's in perfect condition or not, you always have your own list once you get a boat, but oh, let's talk sure. a little bit about your fishing season this year. You start, what is your season? You usually start up in May as soon as the, the tuna start to kind of show. And then, you yeah, we start with my buddies in May because you just never know what's going to go on. Um, yeah, you hate the book trips in May and then they're there, they're not. Whereas right. you, you take your buddies and you say, hey, it might suck or it might be good. Not a big <laughs> deal. Uh, so we, I always start with them in May, you know, one or two trips. And our first trip uh, in May, I just put the uh, Furuno Omnidirectional in the Blackwell this past winter. Mm-hmm. So I really was chomping at the bit to get that thing out there and get get it, you know, working and try it. So this was more of just an exploratory trip to go out there and see what happens. So pull into the Baltimore on I think it was like the 28th of May or whatever. Start looking around, a couple of elephants caught, and then that day I fished the tw- first 20 minutes without the sonar on because I didn't realize you had to push transmit to turn it on. <laughs> so <laughs> once I pushed transmit, I realized it was working. It was yeah, a like a radar. Yeah, it works. <laughs> Because well, the screen part is it shows you a screen when it's not transmitting, but it's not actually sending the signal out. Right. So long story short, I got it on transmit, drove <laughs> around for a little bit. And literally like 10 minutes after I turned the thing on, I got a red blob about 900, 800 feet away. And I don't know what anything is yet on that thing. So I was like, oh, drive over to it. So I start driving over to it. 
driving and it's getting bigger and we just got the headsets this year okay so i put the headset down i'm like hey guys i'm driving towards something i don't know what it is it could be nothing or it could be something but it's getting bigger as i drive towards it so like all right whatever <laughs> drive over it once i saw it on my bottom machine i know what big eyes look like on my bottom machine i said right. holy crap i think we just went over a pile of big eyes and everybody's like all right cool literally by the time everybody's like cool it started going off we ended up catching a 13 <laughs> banger of big eyes I think we killed eight or nine or no, seven or eight of them. And we only had, you know, a couple guys in the cockpit. Um, but that was how we started our season with that big eye banger. We fished for 20 minutes. We put all seven on the boat. And we went home. So that was fun. <laughs> great, great start. start to the season. A lot, a lot of, uh, we had two, two or three first timers on there that had no idea how to catch a, any sort of tuna. Well, the reason we lost a couple, the one dude dumped his into free spool right away, oh, instantly right ouch. to free spool. Not a clue. <laughs> The other guy was like holding the rod upside down. It was a disaster, but it was fun. We ended up catching a bunch of them. And I had three on the whole time unattended with me on the bridge that I just couldn't do anything with. So we ended up losing two of those. We lost a couple. But then the season, it got into, you know, okay for the tuna fishing there. But really the, 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 the showstopper this year was the constant big eyes we had down in all of our canyons. Uh, yeah, we had them in the Wellington. The Baltimore, the Poor Man's, the Norfolk, and the Wilma or in the Washington. You know, we had a constant. The problem is with all the two tournaments is if there is even a scent of big eyes around, that's the name of the game. So yeah. pretty much everybody had a big eye fish this year, uh, which we didn't have very much luck big eye fishing during the day this year. But a couple of our buddies did, and you know how that game goes, especially tournament fishing. You know, you just get your number yeah. pulled, rigger to uh, rigger, but, and yeah, ho hope. Yep, yeah. but time. it was constant. From May, that we got that first. I think we caught the first big eyes, or one of the first. There was a boat that caught a uh, big eye before us that week, but we got the first good whack of them for the year. And between that and literally the end of September, there was a trickle of big eye bites, you know, all summer, which was not. We haven't seen that since 2015 uh, right. or 2016. Like a good, constant big eye bite. We've seen spurts here and there, but we haven't seen a really good constant big eye bite. And the guys that were especially the guys that were keeping it hush-hush this year and going down to the Washington or the Norfolk in the evenings, they were getting a bite every night. Somebody was getting a, a good bite every night. So that was a really cool part of the season to me is you know, the big eyes were around. Absolutely. And it was pretty consistent for you guys down there with that. seemed like I was constantly seeing pictures <clears throat> of big eyes. Not much else, but big eyes. Yeah, I mean, it was there was probably more big eyes caught some days than, you know, Yellowfins. Yeah, exactly. Yellowfins was hit or miss. I mean, you get a whack. You get, but it was not a great tuna year. A good way to measure our tuna year is you just look at our Marlin Club numbers. Okay. When Mark and Chris are catching 400 tunas a year, that's a good year. When they're in the 190s, 200s, that's a slower year because um, yeah. those guys are fishing 90 to 100 times a year. They're only tuna fishing basically 95% of the time. And they so are you're really very good at it. Very, very good at it. <laughs> I mean, best two, some of the best tuna fishermen on the East Coast. So you look at their numbers, you can kind of tell how the season went in Ocean City. Uh, we really never got that inshore thing going. Uh, it was really kind of more offshore. But the Marlin fishing was good, but it was really far away from home. That was a real big problem. The big That's boys. That's been the problem big... for three years straight now. I'm getting, I'm getting tired <laughs> of running the quadruple fathoms. <laughs> yeah the the thousand fathom game you know for us it was up by you guys which was great but that some of that fishing in the mid-atlantic was 140 miles from us yeah uh, so that's yeah. just that's just far but our season got cut a little short this year because the unexpected boat thing in august late august september and october is my favorite time to fish i actually hit it harder than you know pretty much any time other in the year that's that month too. and a half <laughs> and uh i couldn't this year because i was in the middle of very stressful 
boat selling and buying. Well, kind of got blown out a lot in September and early October anyway, so you didn't miss a whole lot, to be honest. Yeah, and we got, got blown, blown out, out a lot. You know, we got blown out seven or eight trips, you know, just in our charter days too this year, which sucked. Just, yeah. you know, random June blows. Um, and a couple of July random days we got blown out, but I thought if I got a 60-foot sport fish, I wouldn't have these problems as much anymore. I feel like it still happens the same. It's, it still happens. When it's rough, it's rough. It doesn't matter what you're in unless you're in the quadruple C-keepered 80-footer. You know, It just <laughs> seems like when it's rough, everybody's complaining no matter what they're in. Yeah, and when you got to run 80-plus miles, it definitely isn't as fun. I don't mind it rough, but you got to run 80 miles out back in it to beat the boat up. I just don't Yeah. Like there's a big difference when you see a six hundred eight on there, sixty. Yeah. You can you're like, all right, I can do this at nineteen knots. I I'm, I don't care. I'm good. Yeah, exactly. But when you got an eight and nineteen twenty knots, you're like, oh, that's five hours. Yeah, hey, thanks. Yeah, definitely not fun. Well, let's talk about <laughs> the new rig. So it's, uh, you're obviously you're gonna. I'm assuming you're on name and primary search, right? Yep, that's, yep. Be primary search number right, three, then, technically. How about your punch list? What are the things that you want to get done? And how are you planning to do it all over the winter? Because I know some of it, I'm sure, is going to be difficult because you need the right weather for it. Yeah. I mean, it's all about prioritizing. My priorities always starts at the bottom of the props and goes up. So right. basically, I'm going to start at my most important stuff being, you know, I got a couple of through hauls that are abandoned, don't go to anything. I'm going to get rid of those. <clears throat> I'm going to go through the, uh, you know, the bottom of the boat up. So I'm going to work my way from the bottom uh, to the, to the bilge areas, get all that stuff done, all the important stuff. I don't care about anything with the interior right now. Um, all that stuff. I'm basically going to basically kind of go off of priority and then weather. Um, yeah. So like there, the, the bright work needs a maintenance code on it. If I get that random 70 day, 70 degree day, I'll do the bright work, but that bright work might very well may not come until, you know, March when right. we get those warm days. So I got a big list, but it's all about priority manpower is the other one too is like you know a lot of these jobs are single person jobs but if i get a day where i got three or four people helping i'm going to change that priority for the day to do the big people you know the lot of hands jobs to get that stuff done uh so basically it's just all about priority to me and <clears throat> safety reliability dependability is my top priority cosmetic is you know all the other stuff same thing i did with the other boat you know i didn't paint right. the boat for three years because we needed to get the important stuff done first what kind of engine does concept. that boat have? C18, 1,000 horsepower. Okay. And they're 2019 models. They've got 2,600 hours on them right now. Oh, wow. Got, got yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're fresh. They uh, The boat didn't get used a ton the last two years, so they've been, uh, they're have been they pretty fresh. I'm doing the 3,000-hour service on them. Those guys actually start Tuesday. Uh, mechanics start going in there, and they're going to do a 3,000-hour service on them. Huh. Any uh, fun projects that you plan to do to the boat, or is it more so there's a lot of touch up this, touch up that, check this, check that? Yeah, it's more bait, more uh, maintenance and precautionary stuff. I'm excited to have an ice maker. That's really cool. Yeah. I've never had an ice maker before. My friend Chris and I both said we will never, ever, ever have a boat or run a boat without one ever, ever again. <laughs> yeah, I looked at, I think I spent about $6,000 on ice last summer. Yeah, um, well, at the marina, you get a used one or a rebuilt one for about that price, right there. Yeah. Pay for it. So there's a couple things that I'm, you know, I'm excited about, but it's all new to me, like the refrigerated drink boxes, you know, with the chill plates. Right, all that stuff's new to me. So go through all that and you know get used to that stuff, and that's just going to be a cool little you know gadget to have. 
I did put a, a Furuno in the boat, Furuno sonar in the boat. So I'm excited about that. All right. I got you're, that done. You're, you're, you already did that. Done. Yeah, it's already been done. Oh, so, wow. That no, was the first project. I'm so jealous. So, I cannot afford one right now. <laughs> yeah, they're expensive. They're really expensive. Uh, just an invaluable tool, unfortunately, for me. It's such a pain in the ass. I really wish we could all agree just not to use them. Um, I think the world, I think the world would be a better place, and I could say that because I own one. I think, but I still think the world would be a better place if we all didn't have them. Uh, we all had to go back, you know, to being captains and reading water and looking through yeah. binoculars and stuff. I mean, it totally uh, changes the way you fish. It, it takes really the romance does. out of the fishing entirely. It really does, and it's uh, you know, it's gonna. I just wonder where, where fishing is going to be in ten years. Uh, you know, with it, it's just like a matter of am I going to be running the boat from the salon and just. <laughs> driving over to fish yeah you or, your autopilot on the ipad to turn around that's what they mean are the sonars going to get connected to our autopilots where it's just going to drive us to the fish they might even have that i don't know but um yeah the the sonar put that in the boat duffy boatworks did all the glass work for that and then uh, steve katz steve's marine did that but that's a fun project um i'm gonna have to update one of the screens because the picture is not as clear on the old 76 series uh, okay. garments but yeah on that sonar topic i wish we could Wish we could all agree not to have them, but unfortunately, it's it's the way the the industry is going. And I mean, they're gonna be wrong. You still have to be a fisherman, but yeah, you do. Uh, and I, I'm just at the point I can barely afford what I have right now. Like I'm rebuilding transmission. That's costing an arm and a leg. Like that's almost both of them is almost the price of just the Omni unit itself. I'm like shit. I, and I wasn't expecting to do that this year. It wasn't supposed. They should have like three more, three four more years of life left on them before they go. Yeah, that's how things go, especially when you don't know what happened before you. That's I mean, that's, that's the problem. That's the tricky part. You just that's, never know what happened. That's why I redid everything and engines top the bottom done. The only thing I haven't done were transmissions. I knew it was coming, but I thought I had more time. <laughs> did you did you have a failure? Did you feel it or Yeah, well it's I was dealing with it all summer. It um Oof. it would take five four to five second delay to go into gear. Ooh. on the one side the other side's fine but that side so chasing marlin in tournaments was uh really interesting i had to <laughs> have a lot of premonitions <laughs> where that fish was gonna go yeah no doubt. Good tournament season. I, I mean i'm happy but yeah since mid-july i've had or early july i had to deal with it and and we looked at it and we were hoping it was a seal kit but we didn't want to open it up until the end of the season and it wasn't getting any worse so we just kept going and you know, open up in the season and saw it was more than that. So yikes. Yeah. Well, we'll get back on topic here. You sent me your list and I saw you're going to, to build your own rocket launcher. What's the plan with that? How are you going to, how are you going to tackle that for? Yeah. yeah. You can easily build one yourself. How how are you planning to tackle that? The the short of it is, is basically I want really nice things. I just can't afford really nice things all the time. So <laughs> I have to build them. So I call, I call all my buddies. I talked to Ronnie Fields. I talked to Raul in the Bauer South. I talked to Noah, the Bill Fisher. I had everybody send me pictures of their rocket launchers. And I kind of decided what I wanted to build. And uh, I was like, all right, I like the Bill Fisher because I want to be able to put all my rods in, in the center and have like a center workstation. Uh, so basically, I went over Noah's boat, set my crab paper out and just drew a template you know, off of his <laughs> rocket launcher with a marker and a thing. I cut it out. I folded it in half, made it symmetrical. So all I'm going to do is make it out of marine ply, three sheets thick, sandwich it together, glass it in, make it right. And I'm going to actually try my first attempt at Fotique. Ah, all right. I was going to say, so, is going to paint it or? <laughs> we'll okay. see. 
<laughs> my mom is uh, the artist of the group and she loves painting stuff. So we're going to both, uh, I have, I have all the ingredients. I have the, uh, you know, federal yellow, the horizons teak, everything you need all grip wise to do the faux teak. So we're going to try a couple different test panels and see if we can't get it right. And the thing <laughs> is with like, with the rocket launcher that it only has to look great when you're passing by it or walking down the dock. I mean, if you got on it and looked at it, you'd be able to tell that it was faux teak, but it's just kind of got to blend in you know, right. To right. the rest of the boat doesn't have to be like a perfect, you know, release Marine finish. So that's what I'm going for. Are you keeping the blue hall color? Or are you going to, it'll be blue this year, probably next year. Again, you know, priority comes into finances too. Right. I mean, the, the hall's <laughs> okay. It's the paint's fine. I love the color of it. It's got Me some too. chipping and stuff. It's got a lot of scratches on it just because it's, they've caught so many billfish on it, but maybe two years down the road, I'll paint it, but she's going to be blue for now. Well, what do you, what else do you have going on? I mean, that's, that's a lot right there. Yeah, there's a lot on this list. I mean, we scratch the surface, but, uh, I'm going to get into like, you know, all the bright work's going to be perfect on the boat. I'm going to go through every, all the plumbing, basically the short of my project is plumbing and electrical. Um, you know, any unterminated wire, you know, any sort of electrical or plumbing thing that I don't love, uh, is going to get replaced. Basically, anything that can make me sink or catch on fire is going to be fixed. Uh, you know, the toilet hoses are a couple years old. But, you know, they get like that hard, rigidy feeling to them. Yep. They're not their normal limber self. Like just all that stuff is going to get ripped out. And basically what I'm going to do is on compartments. Literally on Saturday, I have my Saturday list here. I have some winterization to do. But after my winterization, I'm starting in the front forward bilge and I'm working my way back plumbing and electrical. So I'm not going to leave that it might take me a week in that front forward bilge, but I'm not oh, yeah. leaving that front forward bilge until every wire has been either this goes to that or this goes to nothing. And every hose clamp has been double clamped and put with a new hose. I'm not leaving that first compartment until I'm done. Then I'll move to the second compartment. In my second compartment, I have my fresh water tank. I have my fresh water pump. I have an air conditioning. I have my <clears throat> omnidirectional um, processor box. I'm going to reroute the air conditioning lines to be nowhere near that box. Um, just like, and again, I'll take that compartment. And once that compartment's done, I'll move into the engine room, which is the pump room. Um, I'll go through that pump room. Had to move bilge pumps around because of the, the Omni. Right. Um, and this boat has basically the common drain, which, you know, most of these boats do. But I always get scared about these common drains basically being overwhelmed with water. So you have a two-inch common drain. How much water can that actually pump through it in an emergency? Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a, a high flow, I think your 3,700 bilge pump in that middle pump room compartment, positioning it high enough where it's never going to run unless there's a really big problem. And it'll actually run right out the side of the boat. No common drain, you know, through an inch and a half piping right out the side there. I did uh, that, that same exact thing on a 45 Hatteras I used to run. It needed it. That, that's so, like point the boat, all the water would go there. Put that 3,700 on a higher shelf. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. Just <laughs> and I'll put a high water alarm on it, things like that. So I'm, I just like being on the safety side. So each compartment will get a high water alarm. I'll replace all the bilge pumps. Um, just redundancy, uh, things like that. Going to go through and, uh, you know, with a, literally a toothbrush and a, and a wire brush on the motors, and go through every fitting, every hose fitting. Make sure we don't not crack, damage, leaking, frayed, or broken all through. You know, all that stuff. Right. Um, Get to places where people don't go a lot, like outside the fuel tanks and the mufflers. Like I just want to touch the mufflers in my hands, make sure we're not on any cracking, um, all that stuff. So it's going to be a lot of bilge work. 
Um, we're kind of splitting up. And I told my guys, I have the same group of guys at tournament fish with me. They care about the cabinets. They care about the TV. They care about all that <laughs> crap. I literally sent them a couple stuff. I was like, Hey guys, like, you know, if you want the cabinets to be finished and veneered this year, like you guys are doing them. Like, I don't care about the cabinets being veneered. I'm going to be in the engine room for the winter, you know, making sure we don't, you know, sink, catch fire, have any issues. Uh, you guys can, you know, do your cabinet stuff if you want. I don't care. I don't need them to be done or you guys, you know, sit on beanbags for all I care. So they're going to be taking <laughs> care of all that stuff and they enjoy that stuff. They don't like touching the mechanics kind of things and they like, you know, doing yeah, their sort of thing there. So I like glory in that. No, there's not, but it's actually, <laughs> I enjoy it a ton and the confidence of being able to walk away from the boat and knowing you don't have any, you know, major issues to worry about. is just priceless to me. So I agree. It'll be a lot of that stuff. And uh, you know, that it's all about, stopping things that are going bad like you know i got a i have a little, little rot in this um tiny little bit of area on like the where the mezzanine is you know cut that out and make sure we're all good to go um there's a couple holes that fasteners have been in that haven't been properly plugged so just all that little stuff of all adds up very important that's for yep sure. for sure <laughs> um but yeah and then uh hopefully be out of there in uh april and then I'm going to do a little Chesapeake Bay tour with the family and friends in April, ride around, do stuff I never get to do in the Bay before I go back to Ocean City. That'd be awesome. Perfect. Yeah, that'd be good stuff. Do a little uh, rock fishing for old time's sake? Yeah, we are. We're going to do uh, a <laughs> trophy season out there. And actually, my buddy's on the real tight, which is a 60-foot uh, Paul man. Uh, we're going to go out there and just go rigger to rigger and clog up the whole bay. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Well, what else do you have going on this winter between the boat and obviously work? Um, I see you have a seminar. Yeah, so we're in our second year of that. Um, you know, started out as a first year, more of like just a, you know, kind of a shower thought one day. I was like, you know, I've been going to how I got started to start was going to the Canyon Runner seminars. You know, I've been, go I went there for, I have been still been going. I go here and there. I'll, I might even go this year if I have time. Um, went for probably 15 years now meeting people, talking to people. I got my start really going to those Canyon runner seminars and they've been great. Uh, you know, I've met a lot of connections there and things like that. That's just in New Jersey. And I knew we had a market here for in Maryland and we have all these tackle shops. that like to put on these little like one hour jobs and two hour jobs and they're right. always packed to the gills. I'm just like, man, why is nobody doing a, you know, a seminar in Maryland? And I got to think about it. I was like, well, shit, I'll just do it. And that was like in, no, late November, I decided that last year, put the tickets for sale in December, and I used my firehouse that I'm a member at for the venue just because it was available. I was like, I'll try to sell 60 or 50 tickets. If I sell 50, that'll be fine. Well, my website crashed at 50, and it ended up selling more, so it sold 65. I was like, shit. So I ended up selling 65 tickets. You know, I think it was $185 last year. Uh, so I had a really good turnout, and we uh, had a really nice day and stuff, and basically took some feedback and uh, we're going to over a hundred person event this year uh, in bell camp at a big wedding venue. Awesome. Uh, got some actual paying sponsors on. I think we're up to almost 10 sponsors now. Um, if I forget anybody, don't quote me, but 113 boat sales is bringing a couple boats. They do Cobia boats and a couple of things. Uh, Sirius XM hook optics, uh, Wolfpack tackle Rawfers is coming, doing a presentation. Um, Christy Marine insurance, I'm forgetting a few. There's a couple more in there, but yeah, really good backing, good people. We only have about 40 tickets left right now, or 42 left at this point out of 100. So pretty good turnout so far, and hopefully get some more people uh, signed up here in the next couple of weeks. How can people sign up if they want to come check it out? They're on my website. I post about it on Instagram a lot, but they're on my website at uh, primarysearchsportfishing.com. 
Uh, tickets are two twenty five a person, uh, which is one of the more expensive ones out there. But basically, with this is we want to cap it at a maximum number of people. In order to do that on budget, the tickets have to be a little bit more expensive. But we want to make it more of a kind of an intimate kind of a seminar. You know, not just full of five hundred people. We want to try to really get it a more of a uh, basically a one on one thing. You know, ten on one group structures. And then we're all going to get together at the end and be able to talk to you know instructors, happy hour and stuff. So those are for sale on my website. Uh, there's 44 left as of right now, and then they will sell out. Won't be able to sell any more at the door or anything. Okay. Because uh, lunch, is, lunch is included, breakfast, a little light breakfast, and beer at happy hour. So I got to have numbers in line for the venue. So and yeah, primary day, search sport fishing. The one-day seminar? Yeah, February uh, 24th, basically 8 to 4, 8 to 3. Uh, one day job. We're going to get in as much instruction as we can. We're going to have some 101 stuff, some 201, you know, a little bit more advanced stuff, but there'll be something for everybody. And like I, you know, tell people, you know, I go to these seminars still to this day. I'll let somebody teach me something I already know five times just so I can learn one little thing different and how to do it better. And even if you know everything about offshore fishing, I still go to these seminars. You should still come to them. Even if you know everything in the world, which I don't, nobody does. But you can come meet somebody. You can come make a connection. Somebody that fishes in your town. Somebody that you know could help you out. Back when the sword fishing was brand new in 2013, 14 is when we I think 14 is when we started doing sword fishing up here. I met one of my first earliest connections. I kind of lost touch with him every year. I have to reach out, but at the Canyon Runner Seminar, he had been doing it uh, for a year, you know, off the radar, and he knew that I was getting into it, and we bounced off ideas. And I still I've talked I haven't talked to him about a year and a half. I got to reach out, guy from Indian River, Delaware. But I made that connection at the Canyon Rudder Seminar, just shooting the shit with somebody. I went there by myself that year, and nobody would go with me, and I just went up there, and <laughs> I literally went between sessions. I'd run out of the session. I'd try to sit where I could talk to people and just shoot the shit. And I, you know, that's how I met a lot of connections over the years of, uh, you know, people I still talk to regulars just going to these events. I've been to, um, the Castafari seminar up in Connecticut. Uh, I've been to Rhode Island to seminars, been all over the East coast for these seminars and <clears throat> you get something out of each one. Um, you know, even the guys that are really, really experienced that fish all the time, go meet somebody and very least have a couple of beers and hang out with fishermen for the day. They are fun to go to. For sure. <clears throat> I agree. That's awesome that you're doing that. I mean, where where did you say it is in Maryland? I'm sorry. It's in uh, basically Bel Air, Maryland. Okay. It's in Bell Camp, right near Aberdeen, Maryland. It's at Water's Edge Event Center. It's a, a wedding venue. It's gonna be it's way really too high end for a fishing uh, event, but <laughs> they don't have any they don't have any business in uh, February and March. So I was able to work out a really good deal with them and get this basically really high end wedding venue for a bunch of fishermen. So it was, uh, it's it's going to be good. They normally have like a dress code and stuff. I'm like, yeah, you realize that's not going to be for our day, right? But like, yeah, we're good. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a fun full circle uh, coming. You know, I I got my start basically going to these things and not knowing a single person in this industry, not knowing anything about offshore fishing. I literally got my start by going to these seminars, and then finally, have you know worked to the point where I could start giving back a little bit. Uh, you know, just by the help of these awesome instructors that are coming you know so far i got jeremy blunt of the wrecker mark of the marley uh mark who's is coming you know top tuna man in all the world he's he's wow. on board jeff warford from wolf act tackles coming uh we've got a couple other people you know start get lined up for this year so these guys come they share their knowledge and uh the coolest part about this is and this is where we are kind of want to separate you know from the other ones that are available is that last hour of the day is just the instructors and the attendees talking to each other in a happy hour type of setting. We did it last year. It was a huge success where 
you're not in a classroom. You're not approaching like a student raising your hand. You're just shooting the shit with the instructors, with the industry professionals, the vendors, everybody. Everybody gets to have that really personal one-on-one conversation or ask that question, you know, they might be afraid to ask in front of the class to the instructors. So it's been cool. It's our second year and uh, we'll keep doing it as long as, you know, we have the demand for it. I wish I was around. I'd definitely come. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. And uh, February, you know, people are traveling and stuff, but most of the average, it's really geared towards the average guy who fishes 10 times a year. You know, he's at home doing nothing in February and March, except working his butt off and having a day to go hang out and talk fishing with people is, is a great invaluable experience for people like me and you know, them that that's what we do in the winter is work. Absolutely. Well, how can people book you for next season? Uh, I did lose, a, and- I did lose a couple of charters this season because our prices unfortunately just have to keep going up. Yeah. Um, the, it is just getting so expensive to do this anymore. And the boat has to be making money every day uh, when friends and family trips, you know, on, on charter trips, the boat has to be putting a little bit of money away every single day. And unfortunately, when, you know, the slips $19,000 for the summer and, you know, maintenance is another 15 grand for the summer. And, you know, we got to put these very expensive fish finders in our boats and stuff. And diesel <laughs> fuels $5 that charter rates just have to go up. Yeah. Um, so I did, I do have a couple openings for this year. A couple of my, you know, basically the, the kids and the, the, the dads that bring the kids, that type of trip is going away just because it's coming up, not affordable for them anymore. One guy can't foot the bill. Uh, you know, they're going to start doing some inshore fishing and stuff. Maybe when fuel prices come down, they'll come back. But you can book me by calling me at 443-392-4926. Or you can hit me on my website, primarysearchsportfishing.com. That's where you'll find the seminar tickets and stuff. Or you can shoot me an email at austin at primarysearchsportfishing.com. Perfect. I'll put all that in the show notes as well. So anybody cool. looking to get out fishing on primary search, just click the link and take you right there. It'd be fun. The new boat uh, has a very long history of blue marons and big eyes, so that'll be uh, <laughs> that'll be our target. Oh, one new thing for this year for charter fishing: we're not going to be uh, bottom fishing. Right. No bottom fishing. So if you want to go offshore fishing with us, you can expect to uh, get a full effort of trying to catch big game for us of the day. Uh, I'm not sure that the, the tile fish population can really handle what we're throwing at it right now. So. We're not going to yeah. even, uh, we're going to let the guys that, that do this every single day that need to, you know, keep these trips up for themselves to put some, we don't need to tile fish. So we're going to, we're going to stay away from it on our charters and really explain to our clients that, Hey, you know, we're going to go out and try to catch you. That big bite might come at two fifteen while everybody else is tile fishing, but we're still going to be there trying to put that big bite in for you guys, or it might not come at all, but we're <laughs> just going to, we're going to really put our time in this year, especially, you know, we don't spend all this money and technology tackling time to go bottom fishing. We do it to try to catch big eyes, blue marlins, and big yellow fins. Um, so that's what more. we're going to try to do. I like it. I like it. So, so that's going to, uh, you know, I lost one of my trips this year that, you know, said they wanted to go tile fishing. And I said, hey, you know, it's happy to take you to the fishing, but I'd love to recommend it to somebody else for tile fishing. So it was a, it was an interesting season or we got a little, little cut short, but this year we're really going to get after it. I'm, I'm excited about the new boat and excited about, it. I'm putting a fuel tank in the boat too. I forgot that. I don't think that's even on my list. Oh, wow. Um, All right. Yeah. That's I'm going to put a bow, put a bow tank, 150 gallons up there or whatever I could fit. I'm not sure exactly what shape it's going to be, but looking forward to it. And uh, maybe next year go somewhere in North Carolina or Charleston for the winter. Nice. Oh uh, man. Well, I appreciate your time. This is awesome. Lots of really cool info and, if you guys want to fish with Austin, definitely reach out to him. If you want to 
check out his seminar. You definitely should. It sounds like he's got a really awesome lineup of people coming. And yeah, good luck with everything this winter. Keep me posted on how things are going. And if you ever have any questions, feel free to ask. Thank you. Appreciate it. It goes the same way. I mean, the, I literally have been through my whole process just by asking people questions. So I might not know the answers to all the questions. I definitely am newer to the industry for sure. But if anybody has a question that I can answer for you, feel free to reach out. If I don't know the answer, I'll put you in contact with somebody you can. But I did my whole process through this thing, starting out on email and then sportfishing.com, which was a forum back in the day. Oh, yeah. It's all graduated to social medias. But all I did was ask questions and some people will help you and some people won't. But if anybody has any questions or is there anything I could help with anybody, I'm happy to do so. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Austin. I appreciate that. Good talk with you, brother, and uh, hopefully see you at sunset this summer. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be down there for at least the White Barn Open, maybe, maybe the, uh, the tuna tournament too. I'm trying to figure that all out. Awesome, cool. All right, awesome, man. Everybody, well, good talk with you. See you. So, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I'm going to do a little segment here, just talking about boats that I see that are listed that I think are a pretty awesome deal. And again, very biased opinion this is based on what I see, what I feel will be a great boat or a great buy or just just a great boat in general that you know hopefully somebody looks at and thinks the same but just a disclaimer pretty much all these boats actually all these boats i've never been on and i can't vouch for if they're a good boat or not without a great survey so make sure if you are going to look at a boat you definitely have a great surveyor and somebody that really knows what they're looking at to make sure you get what you expect through inspection so let's start with the fishing center consoles. I'm just going to keep it to two per category. First, there's four categories. The first one will be fishing center consoles. Right now, what I see out there is definitely some pretty awesome ones. But my two favorites, at least for right now, is there's a 2007 31-foot Bonadeo, which is a really, really pretty little boat. I've never been on one. I've heard really good things. I've heard they're built well. And this one has actually been repowered in 2022 with 300 horsepower Suzuki's. And they only have 20 hours on them. So the boat's fresh, ready to go. It looks beautiful. Again, looks great in pictures. But they're asking $199,000 for it. And for the money, I feel like it's a lot of boat for the money. And it's absolutely gorgeous. It has a teak deck. I mean, teak covering board. It's just uh, definitely a showstopper when it comes to center consoles. Pretty, pretty boat for somebody that takes pride in their in their boat. And you know, it's a, a good smaller boat to start with. That's the way you want to go. The other one that I see that I think is a lot of boat for the money is uh, 38 Jupiter, which was also repowered in 2022 with 300 horsepower Mercury Brados, and they only, have, they only have 40 hours on them. So it's basically the boat looks to be in great shape, and that one is actually listed with our team in New Jersey, and it's listed by Scott White, and that one right now is listed for $287,500, 38 Jupiter. A lot of boat. It's a big center console, and it, it definitely looks to be in great shape, and I'm told it is. So moving on next to sport fishing boats on a 300000 And the reason I did a $300,000 mark is you'd be surprised. You can, Sometimes you can really get a lot for your money. And every once in a while, there are a couple gems, and you can get, get away with a boat for much less. And sport fishing boats aren't cheap. So if you can find one that doesn't need a lot of work for under 300000 or or even get into one that you expect to put some work into, there definitely are, are some great deals out there. The two that I see, in my opinion, that are the best is one is a 1989 47-foot Buddy Davis that's up for $249,000. It's in Ocean City, Maryland. 
It looks great. It looks like the owner cared about it. Boat looks pretty inside and out. And, you know, again, for the money, 47 Davis can do a lot. They're, they're definitely one of the, the better boats built of his time in the 1980s. And I think they're a pretty boat. This one has a lot of hours on our C12s, Cat C12 engines. But if you get this, plan to put some money into the engines for rebuilds or maybe even repower if needed, and you're still getting a lot for the money. I'm sure the boat likely has a lot of life left in it. You still see a lot of 47 Davises out there and a lot of them fishing hard. So good platform, and I think they're a pretty boat. The other one that I see as far as sport fishers under 300,000, this one is a 1990 48-foot ocean yacht for 229000 It has full rebuilds on common QSM-11 engines, which are historically known as pretty reliable engines. The boat looks nice. They did a little little bit of a mezzanine to it. It looks pretty on the inside. And, and overall, the older 48 Oceans are pretty efficient boats when they're properly powered. And this boat is definitely properly powered with the QSM-11s. It'll be fast enough, comfortable enough to get you out of the canyons, get the job done, and more than comfortable enough to stay on for the weekend as the interior looks like it's been well maintained. The reason I picked this boat, and I actually think that era of the 48 Oceans kind of has decent lines and looks like a, a pretty nice boat. And I actually ran one for quite a few summers as a captain and a mate running charters, and we definitely put that boat through the tests and... I gotta say, it did the job well. I was skeptical my first couple trips on it, what it could handle, but you know, it's a solid boat. It gets the job done, and again, it's an older boat, so you definitely gotta put your time in and pay attention, make sure no major stress cracks. But again, get a good good vessel inspector, and they'll figure it out for you. The next class are my top production boat picks, but the two of them I'm pick in this episode are. Newer Vikings, and one being a 72-foot 2020. 72-foot Viking is truly an amazing fishing platform. The boat's pretty awesome. I've been on them. They're big. They're big. They're big 72. Lots of room. As with Viking, everything's first class. And this one just seems to have less hours than most of any of the others of this class, 72. There's a lot of 72s out there, but they're asking... 7.15 million for this one, which seems to be a fair asking price to what else is out there. So th with this one just having over a thousand hours, you can get into a great boat if you're looking to get into that class of Viking. Not have to wait for not have to wait for a production, even though Viking is pretty quick with that. And you got a boat ready to go and travel. And the 72 is great for that. The next one I'm going to mention is actually also listed with uh, our New Jersey crew, United Yacht Sales, with Frank Weiss, and it is. A 64-foot 2023 Viking. You're not going to get a newer boat than that ready to go. And this thing has 550 hours on it, and the boat's called Big Oil. And right now, it's listed for just under $6 million. So considering building a new one is likely much more than that, you can step right in this one pretty quick, and there's no doubt that this thing is turnkey. So those are my two top production picks for this, this podcast. Now, on to my favorite category... Custom sport fishing boats. I went through, I ran the whole gamut, and there are definitely some awesome ones out there. And But the two that I want to mention are lower in price than most custom sport fishing boats you see out there. Because I feel like they're a lot of boat for the money. Now granted, this one that I'm about to mention, I just happened to come across it. And it's been listed for quite a while now. I'm assuming there might be a reason for that. But, without knowing... I still think it looks like an awesome boat and a lot of boat for money. It's a 2005 57-foot custom Carolina. 
It's built by Caps Boat Works, which is actually in Virginia. And and the boat's powered with Cat C18s, which are known to be great engines. And likely has a solid cruise. It, it's not it's not in the listing what it actually cruises. And it has a, a three-stateroom, two-bathroom layout, which is pretty standard for a boat this size. And it also has a mezzanine, but it does have tuna tubes that kind of take up some of the mezzanine, which most people on the East Coast would not want, but this boat is located in Texas in the moment. So it's a cool-looking boat. I mean, check it out. Its name is on location, and right now it's currently listed for under 600000 So it seems like a lot of boat for the money. And one more interesting thing that they did is on the interior, as soon as you walk into the salon, you actually are walking into the galley. So they, as soon as you walk in, the galley is right there, and then in the front part of the salon is actually the salon, where you have the settee, and you have your dinette, and the TV, but just kind of different. They flip-flop that. I've never seen that. I don't know if it'd be a great thing or a bad thing. I'm not sure what the thought process was there, but maybe you're walking into the galley when you're fishing instead of having to walk all the way up. Who knows, but... Kind of a cool idea, and it looks it looks like a nice boat. So, like I said, a lot of boat for the money. And last but not least is a boat that's actually somewhat local out of Ocean City, Maryland. Boat called Wrecker. If you're from around me, I'm sure you've seen it in the canyons. There's no doubt the boat has a good haul design. She can handle sea. I, I've seen it plenty of times out there in the canyons. And, again, this boat just seemed like a lot of boat for the money. And right now it's listed at six hundred seventy-five thousand. It does have an Omni sonar in it, and they are giving the option to take a hundred grand off. And if they, if you don't want the sonar, they will take it out. So that's kind of cool. It gives you the option to get something. If you don't want the type of Omni they have, you have the option. And the boat's, from what I'm told, is very economical, and I just think it's a pretty looking boat. And I know it fishes well because it's done well in tournaments. And I, like I said, I see it out there on the rip all the time. But that's it for this for this podcast thank you so much for tuning in i hope you like this new little segment i'm gonna try to keep doing it with every podcast and try to keep the two boats per category so i don't run on um again if you are interested in any of these boats please reach out to me or you can find them online but i'd love to be the one to help you find them and love to be the one to help you find the boat that you're looking for if you're looking to sell a boat i'd love to be the one to help you do that as well so so please reach out to me at rickywheeler at unitedyacht.com. I'll put that in the show notes. And thanks again for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it and can't wait for the next one. This was another episode of the Saltwater Euphoria podcast. If you want to find out more about all the things that were mentioned on this episode, visit saltwatereuphoria.com forward slash podcast. Hit like. And subscribe for more big game sport fishing, conversations with other sport fishing enthusiasts, and personal stories from the life of Captain Ricky Wheeler. This is Saltwater Euphoria Podcast. Till next time.